Hi there, I'm your host Macaulay Tucker and you're listening to The Macaulay Tucker Show, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most accomplished and fascinating individuals in the entertainment and business industry. From celebrities to industry leaders, our guests offer unique perspectives and inspiring stories that will educate and inform you. Join me as I sit down with my next guest to cover their humble beginnings, challenges they face, as well as their accomplishments in life. You are bound to learn something new, so sit back and enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody. Thank you so, so much for listening to another episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. I've just been a little bit of a break this summer, just resting and relaxing. Uh, but today we've got a very special guest, Stephen Hunter. Stephen was in uh, The Hobbit. He played Bomber, uh, one of the dwarves. Uh, it was an amazing project. We sat down and just talked with him. I had a friend of mine, Kate Weeks, to sit down as well as to co-host with me. And we had a great time. So sit back and enjoy the interview. A lot was said, and I think you'll like this one a lot. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Our initial conversation kind of leads perfectly into this. So how did you get started? Like, what wanted you to get pursued in, into acting and in your career? Um, <clears throat> I guess it was something that I, I was always, and a lot of people are kind of like this, um, kind of drawn to, I don't know about performance, because I don't think when you're young, you know about performance. I think we're probably drawn to attention. We like the attention. Um, I was always probably naturally um sort of a bit of a character and that sort of came through for my grandfather and my dad um so you know i, I was i was never <clears throat> i was never shy I, I guess it's speaking i was i was kind of um you know sort of quite outgoing in that sense and had a good sense of humor my daughter's very much like that now and and so that kind of that was where it was always at but i didn't like immediately go into thinking I wanted to be a performer that, that that sort of came later um and I guess you know at school sometimes you find like schools I mean brutal my daughter's just going through that and you know it you you kind of find what you need to do to survive and for me it was like humor and I got into school musicals and all the school plays from quite a young age and I found I was good at that and it was a, it was a way to be accepted and I think that's what we do when we're younger. We we kind of try and find a way to fit in and to be accepted. And it just so happened to be something that I actually really, really enjoyed. It was interesting though, because when I was when I was a baby, I was tongue-tied. And um, so I had had I had to have my tongue snipped. Um and the doctor said, I'd never do a job that involved anything oratory like public speaking or broadcasting or anything like that. And that's exactly what I got into. <clears throat> and my my father, my, my my late father, um, he always used to joke that um after after like a couple of years, he wanted to go back and get the doctor to start back up again because I wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> um so so I guess that was kind of always in me, but <clears throat> the whole dream of acting just seemed so far away. Even mm. though I was actually acting at school, I always wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go to drama school. My parents couldn't afford to send me to drama school. Um so I got into radio. And I knew a family friend and I sort of got in that way, but I started, I was doing like, there's this thing called cart boy and <clears throat> now everything's digital on radio, but we had these little carts. I, I think you call them like eight track little cassettes. If you've, mm -hmm. if you know someone old enough to ever have an eight track. Um, and that was where all the commercials were put on in the radio. And I used to transfer those from a big, like real, <clears throat> big reel to reel, um, acetate reel. Um, onto these carts to play as commercials so that's where I started then I ended up getting into like production audio production 
um, actually the producer making the commercials, but it was all on tape. So I used China graph pencil and a splicing block and I used to physically splice everything together, um, like for music beds and, and what have you. So that's where I started. Then I got into a bit of writing, a little bit of radio announcing. And it was really kind of my first creative love, really, um, aside from the stage, because I did the stage when I was at school, like a lot. Um, and then <clears throat> I was doing that. I got quite high up in the radio business. I was managing, I managed my first radio station um, at like 24, quite young. Oh, wow. And then I went, yeah, then I went off to a place called Gisborne. <clears throat> I was telling you earlier, it was the first place in, in, in the world to see the sun. And I was the station manager there. Then I went to New Plymouth, which is the other side of the island, which in New Zealand, it's never that far away, right? Only a few hours. Um, and it was when I was there, I was at a quite a high level of management. And I was like, I don't think I'm doing, this is not what I really wanted to do. Um, I, I felt a lot of pressure. I was still quite young. I was I had sales teams and all kinds of stuff. And it just, it just felt like I, I'd climbed this ladder, but it was just the wrong ladder. Um, and what I really wanted to go back was my acting. And I was, wasn't even 30 then. I was in my late 20s. And then I got a job doing late night, post-production for these radio stations and then I got that's when I got my first agent I did a couple of camera classes you know what have you and because I'd only done stage and here's here's like one of the major differences between you know like <clears throat> good actors a good actor stage or screen but obviously stage is, is sometimes a, a bit more projection there's a bit more movement whereas camera is really like with camera that they, they they pick up and so I think Al Pacino said this once that the camera sees you even closer than your scene partner and they can see you thinking. And that's a difference where you don't have to do too much. <clears throat> so when I did my first um, camera classes, I was just told to pull it back, pull it right back, pull it right back, pull it right back. And ever since then, I'd, I haven't really been on stage. I've, I've, I've just felt fallen in love with camera stuff. Um, so I did that for a wee while. And then I moved to Australia in 2003 from New Zealand and yeah, worked in radio because that's what I knew and I knew I could write commercials to, to make a living. And then I, I started doing voiceovers um, and then, you know, started getting commercials and, and um, you know, sort of smaller roles on, on TV. <laughs> and that was kind of like trickling along. I thought I'll just do voiceovers and acting. And then <clears throat> The Hobbit was, was um, on the horizon and I hooked up with my old New Zealand agent again and said, I really want to do this. I, I'd watched the special features. I, I sat there on my computer, clicking refresh, not watching it live, but just seeing, you know, the return of the King win 12 Academy Awards and seeing all the special features. And I really wanted to be part of it. And so anyway, an audition came up for that. And, um, you know, we, we, I, I went across and, uh, oh, we just found out that we were having our child too at that time. And oh, wow. I flew to New Zealand. <laughs> I flew to New Zealand, uh, even though, you know, technically, if that happens in Australia, I could have got in the room here, but I knew I wouldn't get in the room with the casting director in Australia. I wasn't kind of at that level. So I flew to New Zealand, didn't tell them I was living in Australia, did two takes of, of an audition. We all auditioned in like Scottish. It was for Gloin, like all the dwarves auditioned for Gloin. It was like a generic audition. Um, so that was it. <clears throat> then three months later, I got a call saying I'd been offered the role of Bomber. So kind of things changed then. Um and that was that was an amazing experience. And then since I've been back, I've I've kind of like been building because I kind of went from little small roles to this massive franchise. But what it it didn't suddenly mean I was going to get offered all these huge roles because I was still kind of at a certain level. So I guess I've spent the last ten years, you know, really building and doing a lot of you know TV and film stuff in Australia, um, and the and the odd job in New Zealand as well. <clears throat> so that's kind of it. And then I got into coaching. Um, 
I started teaching. I didn't want to teach because I was like, no, I should be, I should be getting more acting work. And I was resenting teaching. And then funnily enough, it's actually turned out to be one of my great joys, um, teaching a lot of emerging actors. Um, there's so many schools, so many acting schools where they teach you all the theoretical stuff. But I found that a lot of them didn't really, they weren't really telling them what it was like to live a life as a professional actor. So that's the focus of my coaching and mentoring is like, look, <clears throat> I'm not the boss of everything. I'm not the boss of self-tapes or show reels, um, but this is what I've gone through and I impart that knowledge to people. Um, and I also, you know, just say, look, try this and here's my system. And that's when I created my my app and my 30-day program and coaching and stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of balancing those things now. You mentioned a lot of really, really great things there. And it's uh, through my research, I discovered all this too. You know, you've lived a really wonderful life. And what I found very fascinating from what you said there was radio. Uh, I love radio. And as you know, podcasting, um, I love podcasting. Uh, radio actually runs in my family. And so it's quite fascinating to see that, uh, you know, you started out with radio and then made your way uh, to, to to Hollywood, kind of that stuff. Um, I was going to ask this question, but you kind of already answered it. So I'll, I'll phrase this question a little bit differently. So, you know, you had all these different roles, you know, as a creative writer uh, and then a station manager to becoming, you know, an actor and a voiceover artist. I'd love to ask you, you know, um, did you, what skills did you learn in this kind of, this specific field that has impacted you to, to this very day, like the, the knowledge and from that specific part of your life? I, I think the first thing that struck me, I, I was, I lived in a little, you know, country town. It was like the, you know, number one dairy farming town in New Zealand. You know, it's uh, with the logo was the cream of the country, you know um, it's um, and my father was a horse trainer. He trained um, standard bred horses, trotters. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, the first thing that struck me was the kind of people, and they were very creative people. I worked, it was, you know, it was radio copywriting. It wasn't like the movie screenplay writing. It was, it was kind of like, almost like an entry level, I guess. Um, but I, I was really struck by the people and I kind of, I felt like I found my tribe there. Um, I learned how to project my voice. I learned how to speak in public. Um, I learned that I really loved like using sound um, to tell stories. And I still do. I mean, during the lockdown, I had a friend who was doing, um, he did a podcast and it was kind of like a produced podcast. Um, and I said, look, if you want some sound design, let me know. And I, I sound designed all this stuff for him, um, which to me was just fun. <clears throat> that just kept me, kept me going. Um, so yeah, I, I knew that I um, enjoyed the speaking. I, I, I enjoyed speaking in public. Um, but I, I really think radio was kind of like, it was, it was kind of something I could do, but not really fully commit to the acting because I really still really didn't think I was going to be a professional actor. So it was kind of like the next best thing. Um, but then when I started to do it, to do it for a long time, I was like, no, I, that, that, that itch is still there. The itch to, to actually be an actor and really back myself. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it was, I was kind of diverting, you know, we, 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 we don't want to take on the really big challenge. We kind of take on the little ones. And I think radio was possibly that for me. Um, although to this day, I still miss it. I, I, I really love working in a radio station. I love the, um, I love the people and I love the, the atmosphere. And, <clears throat> you know, for, for years, people were like, oh, radio's dead. And, you know, radio's going to be this, that, or the other thing. But the thing with radio, it's, it's such a personable thing. And I worked for a lot of, you know, in smaller towns and the community aspect of it was always huge. And, you know, podcasting is radio now, really. I mean, it's, it's just like a different, a different flavor of radio. I mean, radio is still there. It's probably more network now. It was starting to network when, when I was working there. Um, 
but you know kind of like if you do youtube videos you're making movies you know you could start a radio station but starting a podcast is kind of the same thing it, it's mm -hmm. it kind of fill, fills a different kind of gap i just want to say it is super cool i like seeing all like the patterns of like history uh, and like learning from those kind of things and like with media and film specifically i like just seeing how like things evolve um especially now very rapidly into different um forms like like you said radio and podcasting and like film uh how it used to for example be like you would go to the theater right that's the only way you would be able to see a movie and now you can stream them whenever you want for like 10 bucks and you get millions of of like options right i just find it super fascinating to see how the industry is continuing to change and how people are adapting uh i, I find that super interesting and that's super cool that you've been able to be a part of some of those stages throughout your career mm. and it's and i think things that things evolve but they also they come around as well um like with theaters during lockdown during during the height of COVID, no one can go to theaters and then when that ended people were just dying to go to theaters and and you talk to a lot of filmmakers and they only really want their movies in theaters um I think what streaming has done, and I was interesting to listen to Steven Spielberg about uh, talk about it, and obviously he wants his movies in theaters. Most of the big directors do, but they also understand now with streaming, it's actually made it a lot more possible for more people to get their stories told. Uh, like in Australia now, you know, they're about to pass a law which says that, I mean, for a long time, there has to be a certain amount of local content on mm. on on the, the the network TV um, channels. And now they're going to extend that to all the streaming channels as well uh, from next year. Although the number isn't, hasn't been confirmed, but um, <clears throat> it, it just makes a lot more things accessible. Um, and, you know, movies is kind of like an event, which is great. Cause it also means that people who don't want to spend and, you know, you go to a movies, you take a, you take a, your family to the movies, you're down hundred, hundred bucks easy. Um, so it's an affordable way, you know, for people to watch it, but there's still that, experience that they can get into it's very similar with um with like auditioning um for um for tvs or, or movies in the old days you get a cattle call you go into the room you probably send on entourage and all those shows you walk in the room there's x amount of people but when casting directors are casting shows there's only so many people they can see with a 20 minute slot in a day and what COVID did it kind of I've talked to a couple of casting directors. It's kind of sped up the process of everything being on self-tape. So everything is self-tape now for the first round of auditions. And it'll probably always be that way. Um, so yeah, um, I think I think what happened with lockdown and COVID, things were evolving, but it kind of sped a whole lot of things up. And you probably realize with so many things that people realize they didn't have to like fly somewhere and stay somewhere or go somewhere live to achieve what they needed to achieve. I know so many people just on my street who are like, I'm never working five days again. I'm going to work two days <laughs> because I can do it all. I can do three days from home and spend time with my family. So yeah, um, it, it kind of like, it was like a fast forward on a lot of things that were probably changing. Um, so to uh, rewind a bit back to your um, acting and uh, TV series and all that, um, with, with TV, uh, those types of stories are often elongated over multiple episodes, 20, 25 minute to 45 minute episodes. And through that, it's different kind of character development. So I was just kind of wondering what that was like for you as an actor and how that development was different per se to a movie uh, and how that shaped your overall career and thoughts on acting as a, in general. 
Yeah, well, I mean, when I started, the ideal thing was to do feature films. I want to do films and you might do a bit of TV. And the TV I did was like, you know, little soaps in Australia, like Home and Away or All Saints or something like that, which was kind of very procedural. Um, TV's obviously changed now to the point where, you know, arguably, unless it's like the big superhero blockbusters, TV's kind of it at the moment. And I think the level and quality of, of television is just, it's just blown up. So I think from an acting perspective, TV's kind of been okay now. And, you know, to get on a show, to get on a long form show, I was interesting. I was listening to one of my other, my favorite podcasts at the moment is Smartless with um, Will Arnett and um, Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes. And the comment that he was making about it from an acting perspective is now, if you get on a TV show, it's not like a seven, seven, you know, year thing. I mean, it could be, I mean, still in, in, uh, in Hollywood, if you, if you're lucky enough to get to like a, a testing or recall stage on a big TV show, before you go in, you sign a seven-year deal. They make you sign a seven-year contract because if they want you and they like you, then you're tied in for that amount of time. But a lot of shows now are kind of limited. They're more, they're more limited. Like the, they don't probably have that longevity. But what I like just from a viewer is I love watching the long form of, of, um, you know, like of television, like one season could be telling the story that that um, comes usually like in, in a in one feature film. And instead of like, you've got like eight hours or nine hours to tell this amazing story. And there's just so much time and space um, to tell things and to really develop characters and then to have that slow burn. You can really let things build. And then, yeah, I, I just really love that as a viewer. Um, and as an actor, it's it's amazing because you get so much more time to really, I guess, embed the characters. I can't remember what movie I saw, but I went I went to see a movie, um, <clears throat> and it just seemed so quick. It was like wow, that was quick because it was like, like it was two hours, and the whole story was told in two hours. And after being used to long form TV, yeah. Um, but I think there's still a place. Obviously, there's still a place for cinema, um, but um, I really enjoy and. You know, the hardest thing is to is to know what to go to next. I'm, I've got like five shows on the go at the moment, um, mm. and there's some that I should be watching that I haven't even started. Um, but from an acting perspective, there's lots of opportunities now that things are streaming. I know in Australia, like we were really busy during lockdown because um, everyone came here because our rules were probably a little little um, lighter than what was happening in the states. <clears throat> so we had a lot of projects. We had one film. That's actually, I think it's out now. It's the new Children of the Corn um, yes. that I was in. And um, I play a character called Calvin Colvington. Um, and that was shooting like May, June uh, 2020. And we were the only production in the world still filming. Um, and it was a miracle that we managed to complete it. Um, mm -hmm. I also did one later that year with Jane Seymour um, called Ruby's Choice, which was a wonderful experience. Um so there was a lot of American productions. They were all happening here, Queensland, um, like northern New South Wales, Sydney, all over the place. Um, and now that obviously Hollywood's back open properly, um, aside from the writers' strike, um, there's not as much now. But there's a lot of local content being, you know, happening. A lot of co-productions happening in Australia with, you know, BBC and you know CBS. Or I did an ABC show before lockdown and stuff. So, yeah, it's um. It's good. There's a lot more content and there's a lot more opportunity for people in all areas of the industry to be working. 
And uh, I guess, you know, with The Hobbit, you know, this was like your first your first movie, you know, from my understanding. And it was, you know, an amazing, amazing role. And I discovered this, you know, and I watching the movie, you, there wasn't really a lot of a, a lot of dialogue. And so I know in past interviews, you talked about how you wanted to bring the life, bring the life, this character uh, through through the actions. And I wanted to ask, you know, specifically, uh, would love to hear, you know, a, a standout moment or a scene where you utilize, utilize your physicality to bring Bomber to life in a captivating way. Because you know, there was a lot of scenes, but I'd love to hear from you just overall this experience, uh, how you brought Bomber to life. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it was actually a gift. In the end, I did have a few lines. And in, in, in the in the final cuts of all movie movies, I had no lines. I had zero lines. Um, I had one line in the extended edition of uh, the Battle of Five Armies. And that kind of that was it. But yeah, they, they had some lines initially. And then they said, look, we're thinking of making him a physical character and giving him some physical stunts, which, you know, the whole barrel thing, you know, fighting off the orcs, the running from Bayorn, which was actual running. I mean, that was, that was, I was sprinting and they were real reactions from the guys. Um, I, I'm glad I did because I wanted to make him memorable and Pete wanted to make all the dwarves memorable in their own way. So I said yes to that rather than compete for three or four lines with all the rest of the dwarves. Um, and I think he was more memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an actor, I, I'm, I'm trained on Meisner trained, Sanford Meisner technique. And, you know, it's all about being truthful in imaginary circumstances and really having a strong point of view, like really have a, like, and, you know, cause ask any casting director as well. Like, it's all about what's the truth. Like, can we believe, can we believe what you're, what you're doing? So I always make sure that I'm doing something all the time. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't want to be distracting. I don't want to be overdoing it, but I'm always thinking, I've always got a point of view about everyone around me and I'm always doing something, even if it's just staring off into the distance and still doing something. Mm. So I was, because that, that way I'm alive. My character is alive. He's always thinking. And all, especially through all those prosthetics, you know, like you, you had to kind of be a little bit more active than normal. So I think in bag end, what I decided I was going to do is I was very respectful of what Thorin was saying, and especially Gandalf and, pretty much everyone else. I was kind of one of the younger ones, um, but nothing was quite as important as what the food that was on my plate. So I was always eating. So that was kind of a choice I made all the way through. Um, and I think that that kind of shone through. Like I always made sure, especially because I didn't have any dialogue, that I always knew what my intention was, what I was doing in the scene, what I wanted out of the scene, which is all the basic stuff of acting. I mean, dialogue is, I mean, you know, you got to be honored the dialogue because it tells the story and honor the writing. But at the same time, the dialogue is the vehicle for which your character travels. And, you know, you need to have a really strong point of view. And, you know, having characters that don't say anything or say much, but you can really get what they're thinking. And that you get their point of view. I mean, one of the classics was that, you know, no country for old men, you know, when he's, when he's playing the dice with that old guy and he says something to him, he says a word, and he looks back and sort of goes, and he, he just has this look and it's so clear. He doesn't have to say anything in that moment. Um, and I love watching the actors that are really like alive and, you know, for me, the key is not doing too much, but just really having a strong point of view, whatever it is, like constantly. So I was taught that through Meisner. So when I had a character that didn't say anything, I was like, oh, this is great. And my my goal was to make him memorable and for people to really get him without saying any words. And, you know, I think, think I achieved that. So, because um, everyone loved him. So. <laughs> I love storytelling, like, um, as 
I've said it, I wanted to get into directing and like part of storytelling, there's like different components, right? There's plot, setting, all of those things, but each part isn't more than the other, right? They aid each other. And with acting, mm. it's kind of the same thing, right? Dialogue aids in certain things, but it's not mm. the only thing or the most important thing. You can tell a great story without any words, like the whole movie. It could just be a silent mm. film. And mm. you can still tell an excellent story through it that way. And I think it, it's super cool to explore those and have those challenges and mm. um, express your creativity in those ways. Yeah. And I think as an actor, it's important to know, it's it's important to know the process, like where everything fits in because you're editing all the way through, like you're changing, you're telling a story all the way through, you know, from the production design to the, to the lighting that they use, you know, to even the background, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the frame, the, the, the shots, the, the camera movements, and then, you know, obviously the actors on set, they'll do their things the way they're directed. And again, the, the shots that they use and in the edit, and I think it's really important. I, I think I've done enough now. I understand how, how the edit works. Like I can be doing something and if I want to do it again, I'll just go again and I'll just, I'll go straight into it knowing that they'll just cut into that moment. You know, they'll, they'll just cut in and you can, you can do pauses or you can, you know, uh, editing can change the whole tone of a, of a project, you know? Um, so I think as an actor or any, any filmmaker, it's really good to understand the other processes um, because it's constantly, constantly changing. Yeah, like there's a saying that like there's three different stories told during the writing, during the production, and during the editing, and mm. it, it's so true. I just find that stuff super fascinating. Yeah, um, and and also score as well. I mean, the, the music and and the score and and what they use and and that that's all kind of changed as well. Like there's a lot of minimalist stuff. You you think of Whiplash or even you know um, as a Birdman and and those kinds of things that they were. You know, there's there's so many different ways of doing it. Yeah, it's it's super fascinating. Uh, so, in during your time filming on The Hobbit, uh, were there any like interesting stories you have, interesting moments, uh, funny moments? Like, what kind of things do you always keep with you from that time? Oh, every day, every day there was a funny moment. Um, <laughs> because you got to you know understand there was like tw there was was it thirteen dwarves I think, um, and. You know, Richard kind of kept himself. He was the leader. Um, then we had, you know, Ian, C, C Ian, uh, Martin. Um, and there's just so much joking because it was just, it was it was like being at school. It was just boys club for a lot of the time. Um, it was very male heavy cast and especially with all the dwarves. It was like being at school. A lot of fart jokes. Um, we're all hanging out in the trailer waiting a lot of times because we'd all get called in first thing and get made up. And sometimes we wouldn't make it on set at all um, in the first few weeks or not till late afternoon. And we do one or two shots and then, and then go home. So there was a lot of, a lot of downtime. There's a lot of PlayStation. Um, we played FIFA 12 mm -hmm. was back then. That's how long ago it was. Um, Aiden Turner was, was kind of top dog in FIFA. Then there was Dino Gorman and then me. We, that was, and that was kind of the, the hierarchy of it. And we'd play that. Um, and we'd have like Orlando came and played. He got beaten. He didn't come back. Martin came and played. He got beaten. He didn't come back. Martin Freeman is actually an incredibly talented racket player. Like um, he, table tennis, he was amazing. He's a, like a grade, a really, you know, high A grade squash player, you know, like racquetball. So, he, he's um he's very talented but a, a lot of it was just the kinds of stuff you know and you know there'd be practical jokes on people all the time 
and um, Mark Hadlow used to be the butt of the jokes. Because again, this is just like school because he's the one that he, he reacted the worst with practical jokes. He'd react the worst. So of course he'd keep getting them. Um, actually, there was a scene in the Goblin Caves um, with the late Barry Humphreys who, who played the great Goblin. He was, he was amazing to, to work with. Um, but there's a, a guy called Kieran Shah who played Frodo's double in Lord of the Rings. And he was playing this little goblin. And then Pete Jackson sent him out specifically to go to Mark Hadlow, played Dory, and to basically hump his leg like a, like a puppy um, during a scene. <laughs> and so we'd do all that kind of stuff. Or we'd be in the, you know, we'd be in the, in the armory and we'd be like doing stuff. And William Kircher had a hammer and he'd be like banging his helmet because he was a bit mad. And then just before the take, Dean and Aiden would steal his hammer. And then he'd be looking around for his hammer. And then he just like punched it with his fist. Um, in the barrels at the very end, we were getting out of the barrels. Pete specifically said, don't go out forwards. You have to go out backwards. If you go out forwards, you just won't get out. I either wasn't listening or it was just too tricky. Anyway, I went out forwards um, and I couldn't get out. I got stuck and there was like three guys trying to pull me out of the barrel, which actually made the film. So even though I wasn't following instructions properly and I got it wrong, um, it was actually kind of, kind of a nice moment. Um, but, but that kind of stuff happened all the time. It was just, you know, it was a lot of fun. And honestly, the best part of that job was, was the guys that I was, I was working with. I mean, all the support cast were amazing. You know, you know, Luke Evans is, is just such a wonderful guy. And, and he spent a lot of time with us. Um, Ian McKellen's one of the coolest people in the world. Martin Freeman is one of the funniest people I've met. Um, but that core of dwarves, um, we're still really close. We're just, just like brothers. So just being with them and if you're with really close friends um the kind of that really close um almost um subconscious language that you have with them um that's kind of stays with you forever so yeah that that was the best part like the, the friendships i made because we spent two you know two and a half years together yeah and i've uh and i've you're, it's kind of cool because i forgot to say this that you're like the first guest i've had who's been part of a, a trilogy of, of of movies and so it, there's a lot of things that happen and i was gonna i was just thinking about this you could totally write a book about your experience in in the in the hobbit and i think that'd be a really cool thing that you you that could happen um this is kind of an interesting question you know even through all these amazing things you know you're, you learn so much and i wanted to ask you like can you imagine where your acting career would be now if you hadn't been a part of the hobbit trilogy like reflecting on the significant role you know playing in this career uh how do you think your path uh, as an actor might have unfolded differently without that project? It's interesting. Like I certainly wouldn't be doing these kind of interviews. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be doing conventions. I've done conventions all over the world, like in Sweden. Like we did a whole bunch in Germany called HobbitCon for about three years in a row or four years in a row and MagicCon in Bonn in Germany. And I did DragonCon in Atlanta. Um, so none of that would be around. Um, I guess you kind of get a following. Um and I, like, I just wouldn't, I guess I just wouldn't have had that amazing experience. I probably would have just carried on maybe getting bit parts. I don't know if I would have been doing the kind of work I am now. I mean, I may have, it would have been, it just would have, it would have taken a lot more hard work because I mean, when I came back from doing that project, I didn't suddenly, I wasn't suddenly offered all this work. Um, it didn't, and my agent, who's, you know, he, he's amazing and he's very blunt. And he just said, look, you're in a billion dollar franchise, but they didn't see your face and, you know, you never said any words. So, you know, they have to keep it in perspective. I wasn't going to get cast out of it, but what it did do, it, it kind of got me in the room. So 
it got me a, a better, like a really good agent, a, a top tier agent, and they could see the potential and what I could do. But they could also see, they could also see how they could develop and develop my skills. So I, I kind of had to work a lot harder because there was almost this expectation. So I got into rooms and into see casting directors I'd never seen before, but I had to work. Um, so yeah, who knows? I, I may have just settled and and you know just settled into the voiceover work more and just got bit parts. I mean, I haven't really had any massive lead roles apart from I guess Ruby's Choice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I also had a role on um, on Thor. Um, yeah, where I, where I played Fergod and. And, you know, maybe the Hobbit stuff helped me with that, although I auditioned for it and they really loved the audition. Um, and I got to work with Taika, you know, like I think directly probably about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, really, that that's all it was on my scene. I had quite a lot of dialogue and it, most of it got cut, but I know so many people who are in that film that didn't even make the cut. So I was lucky that I was still in there. Um, but he was just amazing. Like he'd just throw things at you. You do your lines and he'd ad lib and then you'd do that for him and then you'd throw something different in and then he'd laugh and then he'd throw something else. It was just, it was just so playful and just so creative and it was so freeing. You know, we could just, we just muck around basically. Um, and I, I think everyone who was, who got to film with him had that experience and every, almost every time he was directing someone, it was kind of like, Oh, this is the funniest ever, but so much of it just didn't make the cut. Otherwise it literally would have been probably a seven hour film. Um, Cause he did so much great stuff. Um, yeah. So, so, so maybe that kind of stuff, but I, I think what I have learned as an actor, and especially recently is that, you know, you just have to keep working and keep looking at how you can like evolve Um I've been quiet the last few months and I've just started taking classes with casting directors and, you know, seeing someone else, seeing another person to help me put my self tapes down, whether I used to do them by myself and really mixing it up. It's constant. Um, and I think if I'd give one piece of advice to anyone who wants to be an actor is just keep going, just, mm -hmm. just persistent, just keep going through the down. If it's something that you really, really want to do, that kind of is just your calling you just have to keep going and keep being persistent because so many people who are probably harder working and more talented than I have dropped out because it's tough. It's a really tough industry. And if you keep going and keep learning and keep developing yourself, things will happen like undoubtedly. Uh, so I was kind of curious then since um, you kind of talked on a, a bit, but how did you get into starting uh, acting and like coaching people uh, in that craft? Yeah, well, a friend of mine was working at a, at a school. It's actually the New York Film Academy in um, in Sydney, and there's one on the Gold Coast that's still open. The Sydney one closed, and he asked me to come and talk about like radio, actually. And I thought, oh yeah, I could do a bit of that. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, I was still doing a reasonable amount of voiceover work. And with voiceovers, if you're a full time voice artist, you kind of have to be available all the time because if you take yourself out, you're going to miss jobs. So I was really hesitant to actually put myself out for that and I was like okay I'll do this one and it was like a certain day once a week so I kind of put myself out but I was really nervous about it um and then he he offered me more stuff and I wasn't going to do it and then my partner said she goes look are you going to like are you going to take the actual job or are you going to wait for the pretend one <laughs> which was really like an eye opener because voiceover work was changing and like a lot of industries you know, there was a lot of like cheaper alternatives, um, kind of like website designing, you know, I mean, I've just had my website redesigned and it, it was a professional job, but there's a lot of things you can do yourself or, you know, I mean, I, I charge 
I think if I do a voiceover for TV and internet, it's about a thousand dollars, but mm -hmm. I know people who do it online for like $60. So, so things have changed. So the voiceover work wasn't as much. And then I started to do it and I really enjoyed it. And I think someone came and asked me if I could help them cut up their showreel, which is showreel is kind of a portfolio for an app. Mm -hmm. And I, I did. And then my partner's like, you should probably charge for that because mm -hmm. I've got a lot of experience, but it did take a while for me to actually take on the one-on-one -on -one coaching. The more classes I was teaching, the more I realized I'm actually pretty good at this and I really enjoy it. And I've got a lot of knowledge. And then <clears throat> I talked to my accountant and I came up with the name, the actors coach and got the website. And up until only like the start of this year, the website's been so bad looking. Cause I designed it myself. I mean, I love Wix, Wix is a great platform, mm -hmm. but I'm not a great, I'm not a designer. So I hired someone to, to do it properly. And so from there, I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and helping people show reels. And then over lockdown, I realized, especially with a show reel, what I could do, they could send me all their stuff and we could review it like this on Zoom. I could share my screen and we can actually cut the show reel in the session, which I do. And then I saw this great um, commercial. It was just an ad on Instagram for a place called passion.io. And it's a, it's a, a younger English guy and his uh, German business partner. And they, they started out building apps for, um, fitness trainers. And hmm. then they thought, why don't we create a platform where people can build their own apps? And that's what I got involved in. And that's what I created my app. Um, and so now I've got like a 30 day program, which is basically my whole, my whole process. And just all these things that I, I think a lot of people miss out on, or they don't get taught in the schools. And this is coming from someone who's actually an actor right now and, and probably struggling with the same things. So it's a 30 day program. Then I do a live zoom once a week, which I also record where we can review showreels and self-tapes and all that kind of stuff. And everything's available on the app. So, you know, they pay a subscription. Um, there's a few things you can buy just immediately on the app, some smaller items, but that's kind of my core. Um, and what it means is I can, I can sort of share that information with a lot more people now um, because it's all on demand. Plus, but I, I still wanted to kind of keep a bit of a personalized one-on-one -on -one thing going with Zoom calls. Um, and that's, that's really good. And now the app's live. Um, people are, there's a free program called Screen Acting Secrets they can download. They get in my email system and I can tell them about everything else. So it's only early days, but mm. um, yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, it's amazing how many young actors are out there who really don't know where to start or their idea of say a showreel or a self-tape is so off, you know, um, and I can kind of help align them and sort of answer their questions and sort of guide them. I mean, one of the main things is mindset. It's, it's really, you know, I think acting attracts people who are maybe, you know, we wear a heart on our sleeves. We can be quite vulnerable. You know, we have to be really open. And then <laughs> the one of the main things that we face as actors is rejection. So it's a really mm -hmm. cruel irony about that's how it works. So I'm kind of there to help pick up the pieces <laughs> with them as well and tell them it's fine. Um, and similar to what I said at the start, it's like you're an actor already, you know, and really enjoy it. And that's kind of one of my core messages, just like enjoy it, enjoy the process, enjoy learning scripts or watching films or enjoy doing classes. Because if you focus only on the end result of being a professional actor and getting paid, it just seems so far away. And you may as well be having fun in the meantime. And if you have fun doing something, I honestly believe if, if you really enjoy what you do, you're going to work harder and you're going to get better results.
like guaranteed. Uh, you've mentioned a lot of really beautiful things here. And I mean, I always ask my guests what they want to pass on to the listeners, but you you mentioned a lot of really encouraging things. And I'll definitely uh, definitely encourage them uh, to to check out your website, check out everything you're doing. Um, any any cool projects, anything that you wouldn't want, want to share that you have coming up for the future? Um, well, a show's just come on ABC in Australia called The Messenger, which is a really, really good script. It started on Sunday. Um, and another one, which is a BBC um, stand production called 10 pound palms. I'm kind of in that a little bit. I'm just waiting to hear about something else that might be, might be underway. Um, and yeah, I'm just hoping like the second half of the year is going to be pretty busy, but you know, in the meantime, I'm just, I'm, you know, really just trying to grow my, my coaching business that, that keeps me busy. Um, and I really want to get into some writing and start to create my own projects. I've got lots of stories I want to tell. And that's the other thing I'll probably leave you with, with the thing with acting to remember it's, it's a creative pursuit. You know, it, it's, and I think everyone, when people go, I'm not very creative, it's like everyone's got a creative part to them. It could be woodworking, it could be engineering, it could be science, it could be like gardening, it could be, you know, something more, I guess, what we'd call traditional, like, you know, like drawing or, or art or painting or music. But, you know, every one of us are creative beings. And it's just, and for, for me, acting, I think the first place to, to look at if that's what you want to do is just just let it out just let out that creative side of you and you know focus on that first rather than the result and then if it's something you really enjoy and you love to do as i mentioned you know you'll work harder and you'll really get into it so um yeah and then because we all want to be spending time doing something that like enriches us and you know letting out that creative side of us so uh, and then you know hey if you work hard and you're good at it then why not try and make some money out of it as well you know?